Welcome to this podcast from The Well, a United Methodist Church in Rosemount, Minnesota. Thank you for taking the time to listen. For more information, please check us out at thewellmn.church. Grace and peace be with you. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning and welcome to worship. I am Pastor Ed and I am honored to be with you in worship today. It's a beautiful day in Minnesota. I just love this time of year in the fall. If it could just last another couple months, we'd be just right. But uh, I'm loving this time of year, and I'm I'm just loving all the good things that are happening at church. Um, I want to go through some announcements here with you. Is this the beginning of the announcements? I don't help me, Brian. Where are we here? There we go. I wanted to go through these in order. We have an event tomorrow night at uh, 6:30. Tomorrow night at church, 6:30. Susan Nienaber will be here from the conference. Susan Nienaber is the woman who was in all of the listening sessions we had and has compiled a report about those listening sessions. And so if you'd like to hear her report, if you'd like to ask her questions, she'll be here in the sanctuary tomorrow at 6.30, and all are welcome. I'd love to have you come to that. Next. Oh, Wednesday night's. I tell you, Wednesday nights just continue to be this phenomenon almost. If you're not coming on Wednesday nights, you've got to come on Wednesday nights. We've got a lot of people here, a lot of good food, fellowship. Every time we sit down to eat together, it's just a blessing. And great activities afterwards. There's activities for the children. There's activities for the youth. There's a very lightly attended Bible study with Pastor Ed. <laughs> If you'd like one-on-one attention, Dale, you could come to, to Bible study with me, <laughs> and I'll just quiz you for the whole time. What do you know? What do you know? No, it's, uh, that's fine. It doesn't have to be well attended, but it's, it's there. Uh, the food, look at this. We got, oh, we're having fried chicken from Cub. Now, that's kind of a treat. You all know, if you haven't had that fried chicken before, that's really good chicken. So come join us for that. Ice cream Sundays afterwards, that's always a blessing as well. And for the activities, children, youth, Bible study, pickleball, choir, and there is a group uh, called What Does It Mean to Be Affirming that meets in the, the chapel. And the conversations just sort of open every week. To, what does this mean to be an affirming church? We voted to become an affirming church uh, in 2019. And how do we go about living that out? How do we express that? That's at the heart of a lot of the issues at church here. And a very good open group. Anybody who would like to come is welcome to be at that group. And what is next? Confirmation. The second and fourth Sunday, that's today, after the second service, I'll be meeting with the confirmands. We're going to meet in the conference room. And uh, I look forward to getting to know them and doing some Bible study with them and, and learning from them as well. I always enjoy confirmation. Trunk or treat. What a great tradition. I've never done this before. Decorate your trunk. Pass out candy Sunday. Next, next, that's next Sunday, October 29th. Last year, we had over 500 kids show up. So we have about 20 people who've agreed to decorate their trunks. You can still do it. There's still room, of course. If you'd like to decorate a trunk, that would be great. I'm still working on my decoration. My grandson, let's build a robot that spits out candies. (laughs) I said, let's find something simpler. (laughs) We're working on that. 
If you can't decorate your trunk, you can donate candy. Uh, just bring a bag of candy and put it in the box next week. With that many kids, we're going to need literally thousands of pieces of candy. So your donations would be greatly appreciated. The Rosemount Community Band is coming. That's next Saturday at 4 o'clock. Um, this is a free event. It's a great band. I've heard really good things about it. We hope that you can come to that concert as well. They're collecting non-perishable food donations for the uh, Rosemount Family Resource Center. Time is running out. What does this say? Oh, for Parents' Night Out, registered by November 3rd. This is a very successful program here um, for families who even aren't church members. We have a lot of community people bringing their kids here for, for this event, which is a great outreach to the community, and we're excited about that. And finally, I'm pleased to announce our 2024 stewardship campaign, although it's, it's the campaign for 2024, United in Christ. Um, I wrote about this in the Friday email, and I'll be talking about it quite a bit more for the next four Sundays. Um, this congregation, I'm not saying anything you don't know, am I? There's division here. We can't agree on what it means to be a reconciling church. And it's holding us back. That division, we, we have to address it. And when I was talking to the finance committee, we were you know, just in, in serious conversation about how do we bring the congregation together. And they recommended our stewardship campaign needs to be called United in Christ. Because although we are of two minds about issues, we need to be of one heart. Although we may have two opinions, we need to be one in service. We can do this, folks. I'm going to talk about it in the sermon, too. So the stewardship campaign this year, United in Christ, is about, of course, collecting pledges, and hopefully that's successful. I think our goal is 600000 uh, for pledges for the coming for next year. And that's all doable. Um, but even more important than that is that we take this time to talk about what it means to be God's people in Rosemount. What does it mean that we all believe in the same God? We all worship the same Lord. We come to the same church. We literally sing the same hymns. We listen to the same music. We hear the same sermons. We have so much that connects us we cannot be divided over something so simple. We really have to find a way around this. And that's my hope and my prayer and my dream for this United in Christ campaign. And of course, you're going to hear a lot more about it as we move forward in the next four weeks. I believe that those are all of our announcements. I invite you to rise as you are able for our call to worship. God, when we suffer, you comfort us. The Lord has done great things for us. God, when we despair, you give us hope. The Lord has done great things for us. God, when we long for justice, you quench our thirst. The Lord has done great things for us. God, when we cannot see you in the world, you open our eyes. The Lord has done great things for us. You turn our doubting to faith and our tears to joy. The Lord has done great things for us, and we have rejoiced. The Holy Scripture today is about King David.
And there's so much history involved here, I need to do a preface to this text. This is about when David becomes king of Judah in the south and Israel in the north. But to understand how we get here, you have to back up a little bit to the period of Judges, about a 200-year period of time when the Israelites don't have a king, they have local judges, and in my opinion, it doesn't go well. If you read the book of Judges, there's so much violence, there's so much fighting, there's so much debauchery in general that the people complain to one of the judges, Samuel, who's also a prophet, and say, we want a king. And they go back and forth, and he says, you don't need a king. God is your king. No, we want a king like all the other nations. He says, you'll be sorry if you get a king. No, no, we still want a king. And so God tells him to anoint Saul to be the first king of Israel. And Saul is the first king, has kind of a mixed reign. Some good things happen, some bad things happen. And if we had time to read these texts, I, I think we could see little hints. It's 3,000 years ago, but it seems like Saul maybe had mental health issues. He can't make up his mind how he feels about David. Now, we all know about David, David and Goliath, David being anointed as a teenager, David being this up-and-coming hero, is one of the generals in Saul's army. And the thing to remember about David is going to come up over and over again. When David goes to war, when David has a battle, he never loses. He almost loses once, and we could tell that story, but he always ends up winning. And when David was fighting for Saul, he kept winning battle after battle, and the people liked him a little more than they liked the king. They say, Saul has killed his thousands and David's his tens of thousands. And there's nothing better than a hero who's killed 10,000 people. You know, that's <laughs> of the time, 3,000 years ago, that was considered high praise. Not quite like the song we had today, I'll study war no more. This is a very violent time in history. And Saul has a son named Jonathan, who's an amazing young man and a very close friend to David. And Jonathan should be the next king. But David's been anointed by Saul. What's going to happen? Why they don't make a mini-series about this, I don't know, because this is a great story. <laughs> this is a great story. But Saul and Jonathan die in battle. And the tribes in the south, what we call Judah, anoint David king. And one of Saul's other sons, a man named Ishbosheth, is anointed king in the north. Now we have two kings. The kingdom is divided. And guess what? There's going to be a civil war. And there's fighting back and forth. And Ishbosheth's main leaders get murdered and killed. And Ishbosheth takes a nap one day and is killed in his sleep, assassinated. And you can't have a good Old Testament story without this beheaded. <laughs> oh my gosh. Every now and then somebody says, you know, why can't we be more like the people in the Bible? <laughs> it's like, no, we don't want to be like them. Uh, when you look at the kings of Israel and Judah, and if we had time to look at their history... 13 of them, 13 of the kings are assassinated. A lot of killing going on. 
that's not the parts of the Bible we normally remember, but it's, it's there and it's history, and I find it fascinating. And the interesting thing to me is that the people who assassinated Ishbosheth said, oh, look what we've done. David is going to be so pleased. So they take David proof they've murdered this guy and thinking they're going to get a big reward because now David's competition to be king is gone, and David's much smarter than that. He says, how dare you lift your hands against Saul's son and has them executed? Which makes the people of the north feel what? Vindicated. Now is when they come to him. And these people now who've just lost their king to an assassination and seen the assassins brought to justice... Come to David, and this happens. Here's today's text. All the Israelite tribes, that means the northern tribes, came to David at Hebron, which is David's capital in the south, and said, listen, we are your very own flesh and bone. In the past, when Saul ruled over us, you were the one who led Israel to war and back. What's more, the Lord told you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be Israel's leader. Now, that word shepherd, I think, is important. And next week's text, we're going to have David's grandsons going to war with each other in another civil war between the north and the south. And a lot of it goes around shepherding, and we'll come back to that. So it's an important concept. In the past, when Saul ruled over us, you were the one who led Israel out to war and back. What's more, the Lord told you, you shall shepherd my people Israel, and you will be Israel's leader. So all the Israelite elders came to the king in Hebron. King David made a covenant with them. We made a covenant just last Sunday, didn't we? For our interim period, a a promise, an agreement. They make a covenant with David at Hebron, and they anointed David king over Israel. So now the nation is united with one king, right? David was 30 years old when he became king, and he ruled for 40 years. He ruled over Judah for seven and a half years in Hebron, in the south. He ruled 33 years over all Israel and Judah in Jerusalem. Ah, Jerusalem. That's the heart of Christianity, right? That's the the holy city to Jews and Muslims and Christians. And here's how it all gets to be that way. Do we have the next? There we go. David has a problem. There are northern tribes who were supporting Saul and southern tribes supporting him. And now he's king of all of them. Where should his capital be? Should he take it up north? That'd be a political statement. Should he leave it in the south? That'd be a political statement. He's smarter than that. He says, we need to go to a neutral city. And that city, Jerusalem, the one we know so well, has never been conquered by the Jews. It's been in Jebusite hands forever. And so he takes his army to Jerusalem, and there is a fortress on top of Mount Zion, these steep hills coming up the Kidron Valley on three sides. It's, you got to run up these steep hills, and there's great big walls at the top. This is going to be a really nasty attack. 
The king and his troops marched on Jerusalem against the Jebusites who inhabited the territory. And the Jebusites said to David, they're going to taunt him. This isn't a good idea to taunt David. He always gets revenge, okay? You'll never get us in here. Even the blind and the lame will beat you back. They're so confident he can't conquer their defenses. They taunt him and saying, we don't even need to use our army. Our blind and our lame could keep you off. But David did capture the fortress of Zion, which became David's city. And here's how he does that. On that day, David said, whoever attacks the Jebusites should strike the windpipe. Because David hates the lame and the blind. Okay, windpipe. There's a strange translation. There is a source of water for the city at the base of the hill, at the base of Zion. And for a fortress to be safe, you have to have a good water source. They have dug through solid rock tunnels, and they've dropped down 30 feet in one spot in a, what would you call that? A, what's the word I'm looking for? A shaft. There we go. Yeah, they've dug down 30 feet, and there's another tunnel to the water. David knows about this. He knows that shaft is there, and he tells his soldiers, this is listed in Chronicles, not in the text we read, go up the water shaft and attack the city from the inside, which is exactly how he gets into the city. To me, this is interesting because in the 1800s, an archaeologist named Warren was digging around in Jerusalem, and guess what he found? A 3,000-year-old water shaft leading from that water source to the top of the hill. He found it. It's still there. He climbed up the thing, which apparently he wasn't a very good climber. It was lucky he got to the top, but he did. It's still there. You can still go see it. It's still part of the history of Jerusalem. I am fascinated when history still exists, and you can see these things. But the this, this story here is weird because it says, On that day, David said, whoever attacks the Jebusites should strike the windpipe. That's the shaft. Because David hates the lame and the blind. Well, there's an interesting statement. They taunted him, saying, the lame and the blind can keep you out. Now, David hates them. It says in one of the translations, he hates them in his soul. So kill the blind and the lame when you get in Jerusalem, because David hates them. That is why the people say the blind and the lame shall not enter the temple. Okay, this is complicated. In the next chapter, chapter 7, which I'm tempted to read, but we'll be here all day. If I do that, I won't. (laughs) In the next chapter, we find out that David is blessed by the Lord and his kingship will last forever. This is an eternal reign God has promised. And yet, when we read the history, in about 400 years, the Babylonians circle Jerusalem, they get in the city, they capture the king, they kill his sons, they kill him, tear down the temple, and the the reign comes to an end. What about that promise that David's reign would last forever? Well, here's how Christians understand that. We see David as, I mean, we see Jesus as a descendant of David, and Jesus' reigns last forever. 
the new king of Jerusalem, Christ, Jesus, reigns forever. And the interesting thing for me, and this is what just gets me all excited when I read Old Testament, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, what does he do with the blind and the lame? He heals them. Look at that difference between David and Jesus. Uh, to me, I just I get all excited. I read these stories and I say, if you don't read your Old Testament, you don't know the, the context here. But Jesus coming into Jerusalem and healing the blind and the lame is sort of this full cycle. We've come around from David and all that violence, all that beheading, all the killing and all the 13 assassinations. We've come now to a kingdom that is built not on war, but on peace. Not on power and might, but on love and service. The symbolism is great. See, I, I find these texts fascinating because it's complicated, isn't it? David's grandsons are going to go to war with each other after Solomon's death. We'll look at this next week. Divide the nation again for hundreds of years into civil war. And they fight and fight and fight and fight. And we'll talk about that next week. These two peoples who have one covenant, one God, one Lord, cannot agree. David does a pretty good job of bringing them together in his lifetime, but it doesn't last. God's people have been divided forever. Forever. Sometimes they fight over important things, sometimes they don't. But that division is just ancient. But God keeps finding a way to bring us back together, looking down upon us and blessing us all, left and right, right and wrong, smart and stupid, whoever we might be, finding a way to say, I love you all, I bless you all, you are all mine, and we are all God's people. And in that I find great peace. So in this strange history lesson, in this strange bit of geography and violence and politics, know that the kingdom of God has been doing this for a long time, and God keeps finding a way to bring us back together and teach us new lessons. So may we be blessed that we do not live in such a time where violence is the norm. May we be blessed and know that we are loved by the Lord equally. Grace to you and peace. Amen. As the Lord has truly blessed you, you are called to be a blessing for the Lord. Give of your time and talents to those in need, proclaiming the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.